and one night um, we stopped about one o'clock in the morning at the 7-eleven and he pulled money from ATM and he gives me uh, 20 bucks for two weddings so uh, we had some problems Ed was not feeling well at that time and uh, we had lots of expenses so I wanted to save some money so I said Jerry can you add me a little bit more he says how much I said for each wedding just add some more money so he pulls ten dollar bill just tears it apart like in two pieces and he says this is for one wedding bonus and this is for Every family has a story. Over the past two episodes of the Sasha Photography Podcast, my father Igor has taken us on my grandfather's journey. How he escaped the Nazis and certain death on his family's bicycle. His bravery during the war. How he built his life, his home, and his career out of the ruins of a shattered city. Now, the final part of this trilogy, my father's immigrant experience the struggle to leave the Soviet Union and to make it in America. Like many immigrants, my father bet everything, time and time again, and nearly lost it all. So join me, part three. Okay, before we begin, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, this has been an incredible experience for me personally to interview my father and to really dive deep into family history and family lore. But it was incredibly meaningful for me to speak with my dad and to hear not only about my grandfather's life, but also about my father's own experiences, experiences that were happening already when I was there, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, and my dad was going through all of that. It's uh, pretty moving and emotionally at times quite overwhelming to listen to those stories and those experiences. So I hope you find this meaningful. The other thing I want to say, just a quick technical note before we start, there will be some background noise in this last interview for about the first 10 minutes, and I apologize. I hope you guys stick with it, and um, after about 10 minutes, it'll subside and the interview will continue with good uh, quality. So, enjoy. So, then came a time in the 1980s where you made the decision that you wanted to move our family out of the USSR. Is that sometime in like the mid 80s? Like when did you, you and mom come to that conclusion? Um, for me personally, um, it was a hard decision because when I came back from army, it was after I graduated from university. And then I had 18, almost 19 months in, in Russian army. Then when I came back, uh, I expected to become an engineer and proceed in this career as an engineer. 
and I even applied for the job at the brand new electronics plant in Novopolsk. It's a you know small town next to Polsk. So I was told that I will be. I had my military document. So I was told that they really need electrical engineers and so on and so on. And they assigned me to a certain position, a certain department. But they said that every you know, soldier who came from, from army service is eligible for one month of break or vacation. So after a month, I can come back and start working. So after a month, uh, I took a vacation and I came back and I exchanged my military document to the passport. And I brought my passport, and the fifth line was written that I am Jew. The fifth line in your passport? My passport. That identified your... Point number five, line. they call it in Russia. So, Jew. So, when I brought my passport and I gave it to HR in that company, they were very disappointed. Mm -hmm. And I saw how they look at the passport and they say, oh, we are sorry, but this position is taken. So I was really pissed off uh, because I didn't expect that. So for me, it was really difficult to to find a job because of different reasons. So I started working as a regular electrician, not electrical engineer, electrician, and also not really high grade. Just very mid position grade. I was working as a regular electrician. And then slowly, slowly, I grew to the position of the highly uh, paid electrician. And then finally a foreman for the group of electricians. It's like an engineering job. And there were a group of like team 20 electricians who were working for me. So at this time, uh, I felt that I reached certain level in society, I can establish myself, I got married, I got the uh, first kid, and um, I felt I'm kind of established and stable uh, position. Of course, we lived together with my mother-in-law, Dina's mom, we lived together, and also Dina's cousin lived with us, so it was kind of very tight, you know, um, situation and I wanted to have much larger apartment I wanted to establish you know better conditions for all of us and maybe for future family so there was an organization within the uh, company to build for your own money the huge apartment building it's called cooperative so since I my performance was high and People had known me well, and uh, um, company was about 10,000 people. They didn't have, have enough uh, buildings to, to place people, workers and engineers and so on. They were trying to build the first house with people's own money, like take the mortgage and build your own money. So, and I was elected as a head of this uh, cooperative, I would say. So, and it was, I, I saw my future here. I will build a brand new apartment for myself. And I can choose the best one, of course, in, in the building, 180 flats in one building. And uh, I tried to keep up with my own job and it was unpaid position. I didn't get any money. 
the, the advantage or benefit, I can choose my own apartment when it's ready. That's the only thing. And I pay 12,000 bucks for the apartment. It's huge amount of money. So for three years, nobody even started to build the house. Uh, the building 180 flats, apartments should build this uh, building. Finally, in three years after I was talking to, you know, to the, to the judge, to the, to the government offices and so I tried to push it hard and hard and hard. I written letters to capital of Belarus, to the Ministry of Internal Affairs, nothing changed. Finally, in three years, they started building the house. During these three years, I was working as a foreman and so on. So. These three years, the people were coming in and out of this organization, this cooperative, because people are living, you know, they were new people, new hires for the company. And every time the, the government was sending to me or company was sending to me new specialists who just hired for the company. So our job was only to vote for this person to take his money and return for the person who left so finally in four years in december of 85 or 86 i don't remember in mid 80s 86 probably um so you were like four years old three or four years old the the apartment complex is ready so everything we need to take the key to you, everybody's apartment and start new life in, in a new beautiful young town and um, we need to get the signatures of the county of the government officials so everyone should get the paperwork from government and then you get the key I get there and the head of the county doesn't give us the key the keys from apartment the problem is they were not able, they were fully corrupted, completely corrupted stuff. So they said we cannot get anything because they were not able to get their own people into this housing. So I was really pissed off and I started arguing with them during that meeting with government officials. And the judge says that, uh, you know what, I'm going to call the police and they arrest you because you're not polite and you don't agree with the government so i had to leave and i was thinking about i was thinking about what to do about this one it's just how it comes to my immigration all this my changing of my mentality so i still thought that we can get to the to the truth to the real you know to honest people to the normal uh condition for if you work for your own money to establishing yourself your family and so on so and then i understood we never get keys from apartment and it's december 30th one day before new year eve and people are waiting what's going to happen all the future tenants of this building so i call my friend and i say he was my deputy and i said Gregory, can you bring me a box of vodka, bottles of vodka? So we take this box with 12 bottles of vodka, we get to the building site, and we find the lead of the construction company, and I give him this 
box of vodka and he exchange he gives me the keys of every single apartment but there is no electricity and no hot water in a huge building so i called my head of my department at work i asked him for the team of mechanics and electricians and we opened the electrical station power station and we get to the basement and open all this you know valves to get the hot water into the building and i give the keys to the people who own these apartments of course government never forgave me this so in two weeks there was a meeting of all members of this cooperative and i didn't go there because i felt that moment that something happened and uh, i was accused of taking bribes by someone nobody said who exactly and i had no choice uh, just to make the trade exchange this my apartment and my mother-in-law's apartment the other apartment in our town in Polotsk. so we exchanged two apartments one brand new three bedroom brand new like 52 square meters huge apartment by those standards in the best place on the third floor and very old uh, apartment where Dina's family lived and we stayed for the new apartment I mean for the apartment which was built in late 50s which needed lots of repairs lots of remodeling and so on I remember coming to this apartment with you and mom and we brought the new bus tab and you were working along and finally you slept inside that in the bathtub in the bathtub mm. in the living room so but since that moment uh i was kind of pissed off and disappointed in whole system and i understood that um, nothing will work here for me and for my kids and for my future and uh, people were started already you know moving from from former Soviet Union, people started, you know, living mostly to Israel and Arkady's family and Arkady in particular, he dropped our documents in 1987 in the special box uh, in American Embassy in Moscow. So in a few days, I was called to the company's headquarters and I was given the pink slip. The organization that you work for, they call you in and they and they fire you because somebody informs them that you're trying to immigrate. That's what happens. Yes. So I had to find another job. Uh, evidently, any government company would figure out what's going on, and so I had to get another um, job to provide to my family. So I talked to my dad, uh, he was working as a photographer in a very small studio, he was like at the end of his career. So he was working in a very small studio um, uh, and I asked him to get me to his studio as a second photographer, like a second shift, and also to get the training. So I was working for a few months with dad as a second shift, he was working like from 9 to 2, and I was working from 2 to 9. Uh, it was not enough work, of course, for both of us, us and also um, 
people didn't know me so not too many of the clients were coming to me and they were asking for my dad but at least i was able to play a little bit with the lights and to take pictures to experience to play with the new equipment because i was not a professional photographer i was able to do it and then uh, i check if i could get a contract with the same company as my dad and they said if i take a contract uh, prior to that i should be certified photographer so i need to go and take the training for about three months so i went to litevsk um, and i had very good training from the most experienced photographers most of them were jewish and they were really open and they gave me good lessons uh, on color photography mostly on color photography how to set up how to correct the, the colors because the, the process involved color correction it is really long and sophisticated process how to correct the colors uh, uh, when you use the film so i worked for about two months with them and one month it was a lab uh, training how to do enlargement and do corrections and use different chemicals how to achieve the good colors uh, all this stuff uh, materials were better accessible than before of course we had lots of materials from germany uh, a color paper photo paper from germany lots of color paper from czech republic and so on so i was playing and i understood which one is except you know is acceptable for certain kind of portraits or groups and so on so, on. so i got a very good training and I was certified as a photographer. When I came back, my dad said, no, you're not going to work with me. I don't know the reason why he wanted me to be independent. Maybe because he didn't feel well working with me, you know, like family. <clears throat> also, um, he didn't feel well when I was all the time around. He had his own... Uh, works his own contract his own customers and he didn't want me to be around all the time and i understand that so um i was offered one option to convert the old old lab in the center of town where my mom was working like remember i was talking about the lab where they do these touch-ups uh, of all this um retouching all this uh negatives and all these pictures so that particular old lab was not needed at that time because most of the photographers already became independent they were working as contractors for the company they were making good money uh, most of the profit they were taking to themselves giving like 30 percent or 40 percent to the government so i like that organization uh, and i took this lab I found one nice girl um, who was willing to work with me and we did everything to convert the lab to the studio in the center of like across from it's what interesting just across the hotel where my dad had his first real studio but this one was kind of on the side in the basement but the the, the, the windows were facing the same 
center of the town and I also made by my own hands all the remodeling, all the painting, everything, lighting, I installed the lighting, I went to Moscow and I bought the brand new German camera which allowed to take four shots on one film so you just rotate the, the film and you take four shots it's very important to take pictures of little boys and girls the babies they're moving all the time so you you can do this you save the film and you, you can do it and also i went to the department of the company where they were making like a furniture like leather furniture uh customized and i took the like pieces extra pieces which they were throwing away i took colored leather and I made like a small furniture for kids. Also somebody who traveled to United States gave me the artificial fruits, like this, you know, small um, toys. Like plastic, plastic bananas, bananas and apples. And like, and like, like, like real fruits. Some actually Russian kids were very excited to see this avocado or this, uh, you know, some pineapple they've never seen in their life. So, but I didn't have anyone coming to me. People didn't know me. So I went and I, I sat with my dad uh, the family dinner and I asked him, Dad, what's your opinion? What's your advice? I need to get people to my studio. It's the first fully color photography in the town and people still not coming. One, two a day. I, I cannot survive. I, need, I have a family. And, uh, you know, Dina is pregnant and we will have kids. So my dad said, you need to find the colorful person, the unique person you put in the window and nobody can cross this window without staying and looking into it for a few minutes. That's how you create business. You need good ad, good picture to attract people's eyes. So I was walking around the town with my camera. I had like six by six camera with color film in and I was taking pictures and it's still, I don't feel, no, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. Finally, I get to the same place where my dad started at the farmer's market. And I see the gypsy, the guy in late thirties staying right in the middle of the farmer's market and people just flowing around him. He's like a statue of Lenin, you know, and everybody is looking at him and smiling and, you know, shaking hands with him. He's a very colorful person. He has shirt like all flowers in, in his shirt. He has golden teeth, full, his mouth full of golden teeth. And he has like a golden uh, chains around his neck and golden um, rings and everything. So he, and he has the shoes like he's uh, just stepped down from the horse. He's very colorful and he has you know pure leather, genuine leather hat, mustache, beautiful guy. He just attracted girls and boys and everybody wants to shake hands with him. He's smiling. So I come to him and I say, I believe his name was Gregory. I say, Grisha, can I take your picture? And he says, sure, no problem. But promise me like set of the small photographs for my girlfriends. I said, no problem. So I take the whole film 
16, yeah, 16 shots. I did it and my hands were shaking and I go to the lab where the, my this colleague, that girl was working. I give her the film and I said, just do everything precisely as needed. Water temperature and purity and filters, everything should be perfect. No retouching, everything should be perfect. So she makes this film six by six and I go to the lab and we had the big and larger and I make like this one, three by four, huge vertical portrait of this gypsy guy. And next day I hung it in the window. Next two weeks, all gypsies for all around the town were in my studio and they were taking pictures like crazy. Because they love this guy, they love the colors, and they wanted to take pictures, and they wanted to, to see themselves exactly like this, Grisha. So I took probably hundreds of pictures of gypsies and all people around, and I put more and more pictures of little boys and girls, and also on with uh, like uh, September 1st, the first day of the school, you know, in school, school uniform in there. So and then people started coming. There were a few, of course, set up, setbacks, like one guy, an old Russian guy, just a Belarusian guy, comes, knocks the door and says, I need to take, a, to take my picture. I say, okay, but I need to see another photographer. And I say, who you need to see? I'm a photographer. And he says, no, somebody told me that Yevalev works here, but I know it's an old Jew. You're not old Jew. <laughs> And uh, so there was some, some other, but uh, I was able to actually establish a good process with very good quality, specifically for the school kids. I did groups and I was able with uh, photo paper from Czech Republic to, good, to do very good color correction, simple color correction, not too much lab work, not retouching. So I put many, I invested a lot of money on temperature control, you know, these tabs and all these uh, chemicals and filters, very minor retouching, very minor. And uh, uh, I asked mom, of course, because mom had known how to do this, you know, color uh, photography. So I used her little, you know, the brushes, the tiny brushes to, to do some stuff on the, on the, on the actual image. So that's how I started working on this one, and my dad was really excited to see successful work there. Um, so that's, that's, that's the way I became a professional photographer. And um, in 1989, Gary and Edward were born. So we were, of course, very busy, but I was making money. And um, it was situation was much better. Uh, because I was making money and kids were born. We had remodeled our apartment, completely remodeled this an old Stalin's times, you know, the apartment with high ceiling and everything. So, but we were ready to, to live for the United States. So. Do you think that when Grandpa, when you asked him if you could assist in his studio and work as a, as a second photographer in his studio and he sort of gave you some opportunity to do it but then he told you that he, he didn't want you there and he wanted you should go out on your own do you think he had 
confidence in you that you would succeed in building your own thing? I mean, it was a pretty serious matter of, of you finding a new source of income, right? Because you were fired from your job and, you know, he, he, he clearly wanted to help you, but not help you too much. You know, I don't know at this point what he was thinking that time, but when he was able to express himself clearly, now he is not in a good shape, but when he was able to express himself, he always says now that he was really happy that his skills and his ability to, to be a photographer, to be successful photographer, to make his customers, his clients, people who stand in front of his camera happy, not only at that moment, because he was talking in a funny way with every single person, but much later, like years later, still remember this experience. He was confident that, and he says, and he's proud that me and you, we both inherited this uh, profession. That's what I know for sure. And without, like, you know, when you need to teach your son how to swim, Personally, myself, I was thrown into the water by older boys, like right in the middle of the river. They just throw you to the, from the boat and you need to swim. Of course, they, they, they try to stay close, but they want you to swim to the, to the beach by yourself. That's how, that's how, it's not, of course, probably exact, uh, example but that's how he wanted me to start and do a lot of stuff by myself that's how we learn things when we are in front of big challenge big hard stuff and that's how we succeed you took what you learned in your experience as a professional photographer then we immigrated here to the united states and at some point, you began doing videography through our synagogue, right, that we belong to, like for bar mitzvahs, for weddings. How did that come about? How did you make that decision? How did you decide that, 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 that you could be successful at it, that it could be a second source of income? Besides many other reasons, for me to immigrate to the United States was a really difficult decision um, because I could not imagine myself living in another country without uh, good language skills, without uh, knowing even like electrical code, right? American electrical code or some other. I couldn't imagine myself successfully providing to my family. It was really hard. So when we came to here, to this country, when people asked me, can you explain how you started? What did you do that? And I said, at the beginning, I was nothing. Then I did that, and I did that, and I was nothing. Then I did this, and that, I was nothing. Then I did that, and I did that. So, it just by chance, by lucky chance, uh, I started doing photography on the side in the United States. When we arrived, I of course, I tried to find a job 
as a, at least as a technician, as an engineer or as a technician. So I went to school, I went to the um, different like um, Metropolitan Education Center to get some technical courses, uh, PLC programmable logic controllers, electronics, just to get terminology, electrical code, and so on and so on. But at the same time, I needed to, to work because we came to this country which huge debt. We owned to Arkady's family lots of money and we owned money, some money to Jewish family service. So we had some money to return to people, to organizations who sponsored us, our family, uh, to come over here. When we came to the country, I had $90 per person in my pocket. Only $90 per person. So that's why I started doing whatever I could. And mom also. Mom was cleaning the houses. And I was doing whatever I could. I was delivering Yellow Pages books. Jewish Family Service gave me uh, somebody's name and I got this job. Then somebody gave me another job and I was working as a security guard in Los Gatos. And then one day, uh, Maya, Dina's sister, comes home and she says, I've met one um, uh, Jewish American photographer here. Uh, she want to see you. And she gave me the phone number and I called and it was Deborah Stern. She had her studio in downtown Las Gatos. So I went to see Deborah Stern and Deborah said, uh, I cannot promise you any job in my studio because I'm same as with my father. I'm the only photographer here. I don't want anybody here, but I can give you some little push. Just I want you to see how I work on in Russian. They say on plein air outside just to see how I use the light outside. How I do. She did family and kids portraits mostly. And I was like a boy delivering the bags and suitcases. I was running around, you know, assisting her with heavy stuff for some time between my other jobs. And then she said, okay, you, you got this and now you need to try in studio. So you can imagine she gave me the key to her studio in Las Gatos where she had very expensive equipment and lights and everything. So, and I invited little kids and some of our family and friends to her studio and I took pictures, just experimenting with lights. One of the pictures you saw when you did your wedding of Sasha and Marsha, right? Uh, that picture I did uh, in Russian, you know, folk costume. So that one of those. So then I printed uh, it at Walgreens or somewhere else and I brought and I showed it to you. Deborah Stern and she said, no, you're not going to be American photographer. You don't know how to use light. You don't know how to set up stuff. So it will take many years for you to become a really professional photographer. Uh, but I will, I will try to do something for you. So in a couple of days, I get phone call from uh, Jerry MacLeod. He was um, 
the owner of Bridal Photography, big company, I mean big, he had huge business in this area, huge business among low and mid-level income people, uh, mostly Mexicans and low and middle uh, income level uh, population. He did from 8 to 12 weddings per weekend and he hired professional photographers to shoot pictures at those weddings and to videotape stuff. So he paid them little, not too much, but at least they had, I believe that time in early 90s, he paid them between 100 and 200 dollars a day. Okay, so when I came to his office, he says, I don't need a photographer, but Deborah said that you can do videography. To that moment, I've never seen video camera in my life. And unlike in my next profession as test engineer, I deceived, I lied. I told him, oh sure, I love video cameras. I always carry video camera with me. I've never seen video camera in my life, VHS. He said, okay, then tonight we're going to shoot Mexican wedding. So he gives me his VHS camera, huge camera, which is really heavy. And he gives me like the belt with the battery and the light put on the, on the camera. And he gives me just the names of the you know, bride and groom. Uh, and that's about it. So we go and we shoot the wedding. And during the wedding, I was playing with this camera. I've never touched the video camera. It was really difficult, but I tried to do my best. For the first time in my life, I was carrying this huge, heavy VHS camera. And I was talking to people, um, trying to, you know, feel them happy and trying them to understand what I said because my English was still very shaky. And also, um, I tried to be creative. For the first time, I used the camera, but I tried to be creative. And for example, uh, they had, as usual, Mexican wedding. They had uh, this very, very loud mariachis band very loud band playing very loud music in a huge hall like a basketball you know place and then uh, the little baby probably a few weeks old uh, in uh, um, in his chair or whatever they had there maybe just on a blanket i don't remember uh sleeping next to the stage sleeping like well so when I was videotaping, I remember this exactly. I was pointing to the to the musicians, and then at some point I showed this little baby sleeping, and then again the band, and then the baby, and then people dancing around this baby, and then the band. So when I brought this tape to my boss, and uh, he looked through the tape, uh, he says, he was just rolling the tape, he says, you've never touched video camera, right? He discovered, of course, instantly, and he says it will be really, really difficult to sell your videotape to the client because besides the official moment and the ceremony and everything, whatever you've done during the party time, the celebration, is out of picture. It's it just you just did some stuff for yourself. 
you were creating your own video and it's not not standard i would say to videotape the party this way you didn't follow certain rules even you did you know the bouquet and the cake cutting or everything but you you inserted some stuff which not quite acceptable and then he says we'll see if i can sell this tape and then i pay you so i come back next day and i see him in a good spirit and i say so what about the tape he says you know you did a good job they like it and i sold it like 50 bucks above the initial price they gave me the like a tip for this tape only because he did good job they loved the, the natural way of, of the party and he gave me 10 bucks so it was my first salary ten dollars a day from from jerry so since that moment i felt comfortable and i did whatever i wanted uh, sometimes i added some titles i had some software to it uh, not so it was titler that time it was titler uh, you connect to the vhs uh, uh recorder titler and you just put like overlap the image so i did some titles but not too much editing but better than his initial ones because he gave the VHS tape without any editing and I did some but he was still paying me like 10-15 a day for the for the wedding so I've made about 40-45 weddings for him uh, sometimes two a day and I had to travel a lot but I was accumulating lots of experience and one night um, we stopped about one o'clock in the morning at the 7-eleven and he pulled money from ATM and he gives me uh, 20 bucks for two weddings so uh, we had some problems Ed was not feeling well that time and um, we had lots of expenses and we wanted to move out from Russian apartments that time so I wanted to save some money so I said Jerry can you add me a little bit more he says how much i say for each wedding just add some more money so he pulls ten dollar bill just tears it apart like in two pieces and he says this is for one wedding bonus and this is for another one of course i was pissed off i thought that 10 bucks you know in pieces you cannot use you cannot cash so i said jerry you know it will be the time when i tell you how much to pay and you will pay he was laughing at me harder but since that time i thought that i need to find my own job as a videographer and i remember me and mom we saved about 800 bucks on our checking account so i went to circuit city it was an electronic store at that time it doesn't exist anymore so i went over there and i saw the vhs camera 690 dollars so i come back and i tell mom um I'm gonna buy a video camera. She says, you're crazy. How much? I say, 690. How much money do we have? I say, 800 dollars. says, no. And I say, but I need to start with something. Of course, it's a big risk, but let me start from something. I cannot work for $10 a night. So I bring cash to Circuit City and remember the guy staying next to me buying something and I start counting this money and he says, I've never seen so much cash <laughs> because I didn't have credit card, I didn't have check. 
So in any case, I bought the camera, I take the camera and I go to Congregation Best David. And I go to Rabbi Pressman and he says, oh yeah, we have rehearsal for the Bar Mitzvah. So talk to the family, they don't have videographer. And I just talk to them and I said, let me try. I will videotape your rehearsal, you take interviews, whatever. If you like it, you buy the, the film, the tape. If you don't like it, you don't buy it. So how much you want? I say, maybe $80. So I was working for them and they like it and they ordered many copies. And then that's how I started working in different synagogues, doing the uh, bar bat mitzvahs and then I spent lots of money. I went to the bridal show. I presented my videos. I created special. I still probably have them, the tapes. Uh, like I called my business creative video. I opened the business, paid this $150 to the county. And I opened this. And I was quite happy because people like my job. They like creative stuff I create on the videotape and the music and the titles. That time it was VHS or SVHS tape. Then I went to beta, but SVHS was the best quality we could do. And some people at the bridal show, some competitors, big companies, they were surprised that I got so many orders because my prices were between $120 and $250 per job, per job. I did not count hours or something, just the complete job. So that's the way I... Um, I started this video business and I altogether, when I was done, um, I calculated someday, I did about 245 uh, weddings and barbat mitzvahs altogether. So one night uh, in 93, when I was already running a lot of my own business, um, I was working for a small company here as a maintenance technician. It was a chemical company, it was not pleasant and safe job, but I did a lot uh, of stuff on the site every weekend, either for Jerry or for myself. So one day I got pink slip from EFIC and I come home and my wife Dina, she says, Jerry called, called Jerry. And she says, why are you so early? And I said, I got laid off. And uh, she says, Jerry called, just call him. And he lived across, not far from us. So I go to Jerry's office and he says, bring the equipment. I say, why? Because I found out that you work for yourself. Uh, I don't hire people who make money on the side. I want you to work only for, for me. So and, he was... So he was uh supplying you with his equipment and you were using and you also bought your video camera at because Circuit City? my equipment was much better right so you yeah. were shooting his weddings with his equipment and your weddings and events with yours yes but he thought that you were using his equipment to work for yourself no, he, at, at one wedding at one wedding when he expected to get another customer like from the maid of honor or best man they said, oh, no, we have another guy already. We hired him. And he says, who is that? And they say, Russian guy, Igor. So, so that's Red. it. So he didn't like this competition, so he fired me. So actually, one day I was fired from two jobs. 
So that time I was uh, driving big this Plymouth Reliant, you know, um, car, like, uh, and I get it to apartments, put it on the, you know, in the parking spot, get up, and then my neighbor screams, your car is on fire, smoking. So the car was on fire. So mom, I remember that Dina was crying and I said, you know, this is probably the, the worst day in our American life. It couldn't be worse. It should go better. So um, after that, I still worked as a videographer, of course. I got a job at Applied Materials as an assembler. But during weekends, I was working as a videographer and I was editing nights, late nights, I was editing videos. But the fact is that uh, my promise to get back to Jerry uh, was still there. And one day he calls me and he says, Igor, maybe you remember me, I am Jerry. I have 12 weddings this weekend and I have many videographers and I, I have one job for you. Come over, I will pay you, just shoot this wedding. And I said, okay, now it's my time for repayment. So I go there, I shoot the wedding, I edit it as I do for my customers with the title, music and special effects. I used, at that time I used the filters in front of the lens. I put the, the different filters. I didn't have digital stuff. So I used these special effects. And I know that people like that one. So, uh, and I did SVHS. He had his own, it was VHS. So I bring the tape, or two tapes, even two tapes, I bring to his office, he's not there, and his wife says, okay, that's $80. And I say, no, these tapes cost now much more. She says, what do you mean? Jerry said, 80. I say, no, just call him. So she talks him on the phone, and I, I don't want to talk to him. And I just say, please remind him the night on the parking lot. I told him, I'm going to give you the price and you pay. So now it costs $150. And I can hear his screaming, how come 150 They pay me 175 I say, but you pay me 150 otherwise you don't get the tapes and you're out of business. And he says, oh, come on, Igor, can you give me some discount? I say, okay, $5. I give you a discount and you will pay 145 So he never called me back, of course. But that was the end of this business with Jerry. And I still, I still did some, some videography, even some, some photography I did. Some photography. But it was slowly, slowly moving out because I had to work more and more and more. So and then you became a photographer. It's uh, it's so interesting that uh, in this story, you you had this relationship with somebody that was hiring you. I find it fascinating from the perspective of, of how I do business today that you could, you know, approach a, a client and tell them that you're going to work for them. And, you know, it'll be an eight hour day or a 10 hour day or a 12 hour day. You're going to work for them 
and then you're going to produce a finished product and then they're going to see it and only then they're going to decide whether or not they want to pay you for all the work that you've done or that 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 guy could hire you and send you out to get video of somebody else's wedding without it sounds like without a formal contract without any real means of recourse and especially given the fact that you guys clearly had a, a very challenging and an unhappy moment in your professional relationship that he would send you out to photograph this wedding without agreeing on a rate beforehand just assuming that you would do it i mean that sounds kind of crazy doesn't that when you look back on it doesn't that uh seem strange to you that all these things could happen without any like formal agreements it is very strange because i saw the bride and groom i've met them only once i mean one day sometimes two days right and i've never seen them before and after and i couldn't understand how jerry could run this business the same with the other photographers because they also didn't sign the contract they only were like you know they're working for jerry so but then i understood that for some people it's okay for those photographers i look how they behave during their wedding the weddings or whatever events for them it was okay so they did not feel responsible so this is kind of strange relationship to to the clients but on the other hand for the guy who run this business this bridal photography it was not as i i found out later on it was not his main business it was not his main business because for me and for my father for example photography that's all his life for jerry it was a part of his life he had owned 20 laundromats 20 laundromats so he invested all money he made on photography and he was buying these businesses and every night with his son he was driving from one spot to another collecting the coins you know that's i couldn't understand that time that he it was part of his business for me when i started doing you know business on my own my father's advice to be nice to people to meet their expectations even they're not so happy about the final product to be able to insist that you did your best because of conditions because, uh, i remember the lawyer from saratoga right i remember i did it and he was not so happy about the sound and so on but i explained that the rabbi did not allow me to get closer to the bima and didn't didn't want to take the cordless microphone you know it was one case and he said yeah i understand and it was okay you met his girl when you did your wedding right yeah photographed both both of his daughter's weddings yes and uh, there was another guy also the very uh, uh rich family also from saratoga who hired me and when i did bar mitzvah and i came home and i checked the tape and it's nothing. I mean, 
the pieces of of video taping but everything is broken just like 10 seconds 10 seconds and in between nothing just black spot so the the tape i bought at circuit city vhs tape was defective tape but i was i would say stupid enough not to check during my videotape and i was afraid i never turn off the camera because i i edited it so i was okay but when i look at that i was so scared because they expected to get the, the complete you know videotape so the party was absolutely okay three hours party was okay at fairmont hotel perfect perfect musicians dancer everything was okay but the ceremony and the torah reading and everything it was in pieces so i was sitting and at night and everybody's is sleeping you know at home and i don't know what to do so finally i created like kind of highlights from whatever i did uh, like 20 minutes just all together from two hours and i come and i say to the father of this guy i say please do not pay me anything you take these three tapes absolutely free but i apologize but this is original tape please insert in your vcr and check it's not my fault i did my best but it stuff happens so he inserted the tape and he can see and then he can see what i did from master and he says you know what it's not your fault i'm gonna pay you half you know why? Because when it was my bar mitzvah, the photographer completely screwed up. I didn't get any single picture from, from my bar mitzvah. So at least you did a good job. And uh, I will recommend you to the other families. So that's why it is, it's a complicated job when you work with people and you want to make them happy. So. But sometimes unexpected. Okay. That's a pretty amazing uh, journey from where we started through the what you experienced in your videography career. And it seems so crazy to me that there's, you know, when we started talking, you were, you talked about how even when he was younger and he just enlisted in the in the army that grandpa always kind of had a way with people and that he found um you know he was able to find a common language with with a lot of different people different ages and and if we look at the way that the work has changed from the way that that, that he worked in the system that he was kind of trapped in when he was in the soviet union to you know when you came and worked here and, and had this photography and videography as your second job uh you know it seems crazy to me that those were the rules of the game at the time that you could take a whole job that you can invest yourself in this whole job and create a tape and then you know something doesn't turn out well or um you know the client doesn't like it and then they haven't paid you yet and they decide that they're just not going to pay you for your work that seems crazy but it sounds like the one common thread is that being able to work with people and be honest with people and transparent with people and and have good relationships with people is the one thing that hasn't changed between these 
different worlds that that we inhabit that grandpa inhabited the world that you were in and the world that i'm in which i think you know it's so crazy can you imagine if if uh yelp or other review sites had existed back in the day you know it would have been a completely different experience but there was no transparency in in the marketplace or more much less transparency mainly word of mouth right i mean i guess or people found you in the phone book or in the in a newspaper ad or something like that or through through a organization religious organization or through word of mouth and there are so many more tools today that reinforce people's reputation and one misstep one mistake one negative relationship with a client could could damage your reputation completely yeah the, the my career as a, as a videographer actually ended this way because of the negative experience with my last customer because uh, I did great job for him. I did the, the album with over 200 pictures and six hours videotapes. And he canceled the check. He took all, all the materials which I presented. He said he liked it. And then he canceled the check. And the next week I got... Uh, first of all, I had to pay to a bank. At that time it was $35 for cancel check. And then also I got uh, uh, the letter from the small court. He sued me and I had to go to the small court. He, so, he said he liked your work and then he canceled the check canceled and check. sued you in small claims court? Yes. For what? That's what interesting. I, I read exactly what the, the judge described there and it says because Somehow I abused the traditions or something when I videotape something like that. So I incorrectly videotape the traditional dances or traditional food or something like that. It was pure Iranian wedding with all their customers. But I just follow, you can imagine, I just, I don't know anything, but I just follow whatever was there dances and everything and food and showed the nice boys and girls and bride and groom and they changed the, the clothes during the party and so so i did everything normally i don't cut anything so um so i i come to this to this small this uh, court and uh, small claims court and i get there and i see this iranian guy sitting between two lawyers and I am just single person trying to um, to defend myself. But the one thing I did right before I went to the small claims court, I called the lawyer at Applied Materials where I was working that time. And one of the benefits they offered, 30 minutes legal advice. So I called the lawyer at Applied Materials prior to coming to the court and I said, that's the situation and the lawyer she said get your own claim sue this guy because he did mistake he took all the order from you but he canceled the check that's the biggest mistake he did in all these legal terms i don't know how did she describe but she says you even you lose the first one you can win this your own claim so I did this counterclaim and I paid money, of course. 
saw to the to the court and I get there so he sits next to uh, between two lawyers and he stands up and he starts describing all these circumstances of all this case and I feel I'm gone I cannot prove anything what can I prove but the judge was really smart person and he says but we have another claim from videographer and photographer so can I see the the work and I had printed for 100 plus bucks extra pictures which I had just to present and I made extra copy for master so I give him this album exact copy very nice leather you know album not of course like current one inserted pictures but very nice pictures lots of them so I give it to the judge and just judge just looks through this album and he says hmm let me see the tape I will leave chambers for, for a few minutes I come back he takes the tape he gets to chambers looks through the tape you know through his VCR and TV he comes back and he says to this Iranian guy come over here I just look through everything do you know how much you must pay for all this says no how much did you pay and he says six hundred dollars and you cancel the check yeah I cancel the check says you need to pay for this twenty six hundred dollars and you pay only six hundred and you cancel the check so tomorrow you will issue the check to this videographer for six hundred thirty five dollars which cost him cancel check plus his expenses here at the court 700 something dollars and that I will never see you again but um, it was my last work that's it what did you feel when the judge said that uh, that the work that you provided and the amount that you charged was actually worth five times more than what you charged uh, you know that moment first of all I could not trust the clients anymore. it was like a really bad feeling like chilling and secondly um, I understood that I charge not enough for amount of work I put in and time I put in so I couldn't raise the prices because I was level at certain point in that environment I was working and the level of customers and so on and so on and maybe something else but I, I told myself no that's that's enough I'm done here I will switch to, to something else no. I still enjoy doing photography, but, sure. but using different equipment. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy, crazy story. What year was that, your last, that last client? 2000. 2000. No, I remember you uh, editing and doing all the stuff in the living room. And... So when I told you uh, that I was going to quit my full-time job and go into photography full-time how did you feel uh, 
Well, it's difficult to say um, that I did not trust you. I mean, I, I did trust you in your decision. And um, also for me, it was um, kind of pleasant fact that somebody, somebody else is, is uh, doing this. And um, um, I felt that you are creative enough and you have um, uh, lots of business skills and you, you've got experience. I believe that you, you will do it and you will, you will do it successfully. Somehow I, um, I still do. Thank you for listening. I am so grateful to my father for opening up, for taking the time to do these interviews, even though at times it must have been difficult to talk about some of these experiences. When the podcast returns, we are going to venture into a completely different world, away from family history and into interviews with my colleagues, other wedding professionals, couples past and present and the idea is to bring you lots of insights and interesting stories from the wedding world and beyond so i hope that you return next week don't forget that the podcast is available on itunes stitcher soundcloud and pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts so if you enjoyed it please leave your feedback your ratings and share with a friend because it really helps. See you next week on the Sasha Photography Podcast.